a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. Well, as we continue to watch the war play out in Ukraine, and many continue to question and wonder about what is going on inside Vladimir Putin's inner circle, uh, which I continue to maintain is an inner circle of one. Uh, I think he has completely uh, removed anyone and everyone uh, from that inner circle of advisors uh, that has anything contrary uh, to what uh, Vladimir Putin wants or, or is telling them uh, is the direction. Uh, and this has been what we've been, we've been talking about the last couple of days, and I just think it's such a, an interesting component. Uh, we're just trying to connect with our friends over at the Washington Post. Uh, they had a great piece on the hubris and isolation that led Vladimir Putin to completely misjudge Ukraine uh, in all of this. And, of course, as we look at the last 48-plus uh, days, uh, of this invasion by Russian forces into Ukraine, uh, the countless atrocities. I think it's important to note, uh, in particular today, that uh, President Biden has really leaned in uh, to these uh, war crime charges against Vladimir Putin, that this is genocide, uh, that these are war crimes that are being committed. Uh, and that's important. Uh, it's important for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, bringing people to justice for such atrocities uh, is something that the entire world should be concerned about and engaged on. And we also know Secretary of State Antony Blinken has said a number of times that uh, the wheels of that kind of justice turn incredibly slow. It is a very slow process. Uh, we know even just of what took place after World War II, uh, the slow turning of evidence uh, into action, into charges, into getting people uh, before uh, those tribunals. And so it is a slow process, and it's not a very satisfying process because those that have suffered, those that have lost their lives, and those that have lost loved ones, uh, that doesn't change their reality. And often that slowness of justice can be incredibly frustrating. And so I do think it's important, the message being sent uh, from President Biden, uh, that these are war crimes, that this is genocide, that these are atrocities of the highest order, that Vladimir Putin needs to be held accountable for these. Uh, and so while it's more symbolic, it is an important symbol. And it's an important message to the rest of the world of how serious the United States is taking what Vladimir Putin is doing in Ukraine. So I, I think that's a, an important note. And, and the president really leaned into that again today saying, yes, these are war crimes. This is genocide. This does need to be dealt with uh, by uh, the, the highest uh, international bodies in terms of these war crimes. Uh, so, uh, again, important more from a messaging standpoint, important message, I think, to the people of Ukraine that it's being taken seriously, but also an important message, I think, to allies and to enemies around the world uh, that the United States has very specific and very serious uh, feelings and thoughts about what's taking place and, and why that is happening. Uh, 
so to continue on with the uh, the Washington Post, uh, they talked about it in, in terms of, look, Vladimir Putin has experienced thousands, thousands of Russian battlefields death. Uh, they've had three frontline retreats. Uh, and I think it's even more than that by the Russian military. Uh, of course, you also have millions of Ukraine who who are never going to uh, engage in, in anything as it relates to Moscow. And uh, really pleased to have uh, joining us uh, from the Washington Post, Paul Sony uh, joins us. And uh, Paul, great, great piece. I know that was a tag team effort with uh, a number of your colleagues. Uh, I think this is one of the really important things for us to look at as you look at the hubris, the isolation that led to Vladimir Putin and that misjudgment of Ukraine. As you dug into this, uh, what were some of the high-level things that just jumped out of you, uh, out at you that maybe the rest of the world didn't really notice uh, in terms of just how isolated Vladimir Putin really is? You know, I, I think it's just an incredible, incredibly weird question, right, which is how could Russia, you know, get Ukraine wrong? How could Vladimir Putin get Ukraine wrong? It's a country they used to they used to be part of the same country. He's surrounded by so many people who were born in Ukraine. Um, they have so many opportunities to understand Ukraine. How could he misinterpret and misjudge this situation? Um, and the kind of broad answer to that question is that he is a, a the leader of an authoritarian system, and in many ways, the system that he created um, over time the opposite of serving him um it, it you know he ha- is surrounded by people who uh don't want to challenge his views um they they don't want to bring bad news to his table uh and he had very personal uh very clear views on what ukraine was and what it wasn't and uh anything that might disabuse those views uh anyone who would bring information that could disabuse those views um, would be subject to, you know, having their career affected or punishment or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, when you create this system where there's really no independent information in the news sphere because the Kremlin really controls all the television channels and they've had a huge crackdown on, on, um, on, on the media in, in recent years, you think all Western journalism is just lies um, and you uh, surround yourself by a lot of people who think it's their job to agree with you, it gets pretty hard to get real information and make decisions like this. Yeah, and I, I think uh, since I read your piece yesterday, uh, we've been talking about a lot here in terms of just leadership lessons and that isolated leader is never a good leader. If you only have yes men and yes women around you, the, that's not really helpful. Uh, you had a, a line in here from one Russian expert. I've been dying to ask you of, about this, uh, this idea that, that this a war was uh, contrived by spooks and not generals. Uh, dig into that a little bit for us. Yes, yeah, so there are so many things that make no sense about Russia's military operation in the first month of this this war. Um, they just, you know, for number one thing is no one identified a commanding general. It's very weird, um, you know, when a country goes to war in another country, you usually have a single person who is fundamentally in charge of the entire operation on the battlefield. From that everyone understands that person did not exist. Um, you have a ragtag formations going in on four different fronts. 
some of them are, you know, essentially National Guard troops that are supposed to be there to do policing, uh, and you know, which is not the kind of people you would send in before securing territory. Um, they tried to do this uh, paratrooper landing at an airport right outside of Kiev without having uh, having wrested control of the territory or dismantled the Ukrainian military in advance. And of course, those guys were just immediately whacked. I mean, this just like didn't none of this made sense, right? From a military perspective, um, you, know, you had all of this armor going towards Ukraine, but you didn't have the supply lines in order logistics in order to be able to service that. And and a lot of what people think is that one of the reasons is that they just simply expected them to be able to knock over the government quickly for Zelensky to flee, uh, for them to be able to sort of waltz into Kiev and seize control. And that's the kind of thinking that that, that is really sort of spy games, uh, special operation type thinking, not this is going to be a major military battlefield. So actually, I think kind of what we're seeing now is a shift from from that that initial thinking to a, a more traditional military conflict. We now have a commanding general in charge of Russian forces, a very clear uh, command structure. Uh, it's now going to be focused, as from at least in the initial stage, in this eastern area, uh, in, the, in the Donbass region, and it's going to be trying to sort of move the front line they already have outward. So I think what we're seeing a little bit is, you know, the failure of the sort of spy games version of events that they were hoping would transpire, and now we're we're moving to the more traditional military version of events. Yeah. So how do you see that uh, playing out just real quickly? Uh, we've got about a minute left. Uh, how do you see that next phase? Is, is Does Putin uh, have an off-ramp strategy? Is Are the generals uh, more engaged now so where this might get harder for Ukraine? Uh, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think this is going to get harder for Ukraine um, because the Russians have made such a strategic error. They're now um, going to regroup. Putin is going to double down. He needs to. He's now suffered tremendous loss, uh, not only of the lives of Russian soldiers, but also the Russian economy, the isolation of the country. He needs to bring home something substantive um, that he can you know, claim politically. You're going to see the Russians double down, and it's going to be a lot easier for them to fight in that eastern area because it's contiguous to Russia. They have a lot fewer, they have many fewer supply issues. Um, they've been fighting there, uh, you know, with the with these separatists in Donetsk and Lugansk for eight years. They have established supply routes. They have weapons and theater. It's going to be a lot. You know, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons why um, you might see them do better in this environment. And uh, the Ukrainians, uh, I, I you know, I think what we don't know. You saw Zelensky today calling for more ammunition, more armor. Um, we just don't really have an accurate view of how depleted their arsenal is, how many people they have left. Obviously, they're keeping that information close hold because it's you know you don't want the enemy to know. Um, and so and so I don't I don't know. I think I think it's going to be really different. But I don't think we should necessarily expect to see Russia um, behave the way that they, they did in, in the first six weeks of this war, which were really bizarre for, for, for so many reasons. Yeah. Wow. Paul Sonny, national security reporter for The Washington Post. It's a great piece. We'll put this on our social. Uh, Paul uh, covers the U.S. military and defense policy and just a really great insight into where we've been uh, and great uh, insight in terms of where we might be going next. Paul, thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me. All right, we'll step aside quickly for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk about electric vehicles. Are subsidies helping or hurting the environment as it relates to electric vehicles? Find out about that coming up next. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.